my pleasure to welcome you to this Ankur Capital Dialogue. As a venture capital firm investing in innovation to benefit the next billion Indians, Ankur has a real view of trends happening in the startup world. And in the next hour, we want to spotlight the growing significance of IP-centered entrepreneurship in India. Ankur has invested heavily in this growing trend. Five out of the 14 companies in our first fund are IP-centered in fields ranging from AI-based image processing to SaaS to biotech. And following the pattern of our previous four Ankur Capital Dialogues, we've invited industry leaders to share their perspective on both high-level issues and on practical questions that are relevant to entrepreneurs setting up companies around IP in India. So we hope this next hour is uh, useful to people in the audience uh, from whatever background you are. Uh, we will have time at the end for uh, questions and answers, but I will be moderating the discussion with our invitees for the uh, first 40-45 minutes or so. It's my pleasure to welcome our panelists, Dr. Taslim Arif Saeed, Mr. Ravi Bhola, and Dr. Geeta Manjanath. Dr. Taslim Arif Saeed is the current director of CCAMP. He promotes innovation in life sciences and healthcare by supporting the translation of discoveries to application, entrepreneurship, and technology development. His initial training has been in neurosciences, where he received his PhD from the Max Planck Institute for Brain Research in Germany and followed it up by postdoctoral training at the University of California, San Francisco. He has consulted for many biotech firms in the US and is an adjunct faculty at IIT Chennai and also at Amrita Institute of Biotechnology. Welcome, Dr. Saeed. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. Mr. Ravi Bhola is a partner at KNS Partners, a law firm, where he chairs the patent practice of the firm. He has handled filing and prosecution of several thousands of patent applications in diverse areas of technology, such as biotechnology, bioinformatics, software, nanotechnology, pharmaceuticals, and electronics. Ravi regularly renders opinions on issues ranging from licensing, assignment, pre and post grant oppositions, freedom to operate, technology landscaping, due diligence, IP portfolio building strategy, and assists clients in negotiations and enforcement of patent rights. He has studied MSc in biotech in addition to his law degree. Welcome, Dr. Welcome Mr. Bola. Thank you, Dr. Dr. Geeta Manjanath is the founder, CEO, and CTO of Niramai. She has over 25 years of experience in IT research and has led many innovative projects in healthcare and transportation, especially catering to the needs of emerging markets. Geeta holds a PhD in computer science from the Indian Institute of Science, and her management education is from the Kellogg Institute of Management in Chicago. Geeta has won international and national recognition for her innovations and entrepreneurial work and has co-authored a book called Moving to the Cloud. Welcome, Geeta, to the panel. Thank you. You know, the uh, theme of this panel is uh, the growth of IP-centered entrepreneurship in India. And, uh, you know, one of the ways we can uh, see this growth is through the number of IP-centered companies that come up for investment, through the 10% or so year-on-year -year growth consistently in the number of patents that are filed. Uh, and this is, uh, you know, clearly a trend that is here to stay. 
I thought we could start by asking our panels, panelists how they have experienced these trends. Um, Ravi, you have uh, filed patents for a range of companies in, in many different industries. Uh, could you tell us a bit over, over, the, about over the past few years, what have been the types of companies that uh, you have encountered? Any notable changes? Uh, you know, what, what notable trends do you see from your perspective? Right. Thank you, Kamakshi. Um, so clearly, you know, if you look at broadly in terms of overall interest to, to file patents, uh, you know, clearly we have seen a substantial increase in uh, interest from the community, innovator community. Um, and it's actually cut across uh, different uh, domains. Um, India has seen a significant increase in filing of patents. Uh, uh, and those are, a lot of those actually have come in from the domestic players, Indian companies. But of course, large size corporations also file quite a bit of patents in India. Now, in terms of domains, you know, the two domains that are really massive uh, in terms of filings and, and obtaining patents, uh, one is clearly healthcare. And when I say healthcare, it includes uh, pharmaceuticals and, and, and biotech, uh, including diagnostics and, and also medical devices. So that's one big bucket where we have seen considerable interest and increase in filing of patents. Uh, other big bucket, uh, Kamakshi, has been uh, telecommunication and software. So I would say these two areas are the are the largest pieces. But then, of course, you know there are other other aligned areas. For example, energy, especially uh, green tech, for example, or some of the newer technologies around blockchain and and you know ML and stuff like that. Uh, those, of course, are newer areas. Their absolute numbers might be small, but the increase is substantial. So that's a very broad overview of the trends that we have seen in our practice and generally. And this is, uh, I would say, it's not necessarily limiting to only India, but a lot of developing economies and even large-sized developed economies tend to have a very similar trend. Yeah. Thank you. Um, uh, Taslim, you, in your role as, as uh, the head of an incubator, would also have a, a very good vantage point to look at the uh, types of entrepreneurship that you have encountered, uh, you know, from at the at the very early stage itself. How have you experienced this uh, flourishing of IP-centered entrepreneurship in India over the past few years? Yeah. Thanks, Kamakshi. So I think as an organization, uh, CCAM, which is supported by central, funded, uh, central government agencies, uh, the role of CCAM has been to work as a catalyst. And we one of our vertical actually also engages heavily with entrepreneurship and incubation. So that particular vertical uh, has engaged with uh, and worked with possibly more than 1,000 odd startups now and have our own portfolio of 200 startups where we have actually funded them through different schemes. Um, that has allowed, to, allowed us to see broadly the, the trend in terms of how things are shaping up. And in terms of entrepreneurship, uh, while we work in the broad field of life sciences, uh, we are definitely seeing a surge in terms of uh, looking at building new uh, science-based innovations and products rather than possibly and with a clear understanding that it would not be just for a short-term local deployment, but a long-term global deployment. And that can only be done through a strong IP. 
So there is definitely an understanding and that has become a norm to ensure that because unless you do that, the investors for a long term thing would not come by. And that is a clear sign that they have to work on it even if they go further down. So that is absolutely something that is people are working on and they are growing on it. So there is, if you want to say the trend has been that more and more people are now clearly understanding that in a field like life sciences or sciences, there is a need for an IP if you really want to build a long-term global uh, enterprise. So I think that has become a crux in terms of a long-term play. Thank you. Uh, Geeta, you have uh, built uh, Niramai into a successful, well-funded company. Could you just give us a brief introduction to Niramai and what it does? Sure. So, so just to sort of also comment on the trends part of it, right? So I think as a startup as well, uh, it's very important to keep that uh, sort of the deep tech nature of it and keep the differentiation, right? Uh, with innovation, you actually get the market differentiation, be it at the startup level differentiation or at a, even at a corporate level. In my previous organization, for example, you know, you see a special trend towards uh, focused R&D activity, right? So for example, there are so many corporates, uh, multinational companies starting R&D labs in India, for example, right? So the reason for that is, uh, you know, creativity and innovation has become a key way of getting market uh, differentiation. Just the process innovation and so on may not be just sufficient. You know, there should be some deep tech differentiation that keeps them uh, going literally even for business as usual, not just sort of, you know, in future, but also this. So I think that uh, coupled with, uh, you know, very smart minds in India, right, you'll see a lot of uh, focus on the innovation. Piece. Um, and, and talking about uh, Niramai, yes, uh, we have, uh, uh, you know, I believe invented a completely new method of uh, detecting breast cancer using thermal imaging and artificial intelligence. Uh, we are very thankful. Uh, Ankur is also uh, one of our investors. And I'm sure the the uh, the nine patents that we had already filed at that time. Now, I mean, I'm very glad to uh, announce that we got the 10th uh, US granted US patent granted today morning. So it was like awesome for us. So we do, uh, we can claim 10 individual ideas, uh, you know, gone through the full cycle and uh, patented within uh, all the technology that we have built uh, at Niramai. And uh, so, so our method gives uh, not just a technical differentiation, there is also usage differentiation. Ours is radiation-free, non-contact, non-invasive. So it makes it very easy for um, uh, screening women at large population as, uh, as large-scale screening as well as uh, provides a differentiation for enabling um, detection of uh, early cancer um, in women under 45 years of age, which is also a huge gap, right? So in the usage as well, there are several gaps in breast cancer screening that this new innovation can uh, address. And so uh, we've learned a lot, um, you know, as a startup trying to sort of uh, uh, cover ideas under patent um, as well as, as corporate trying to sort of go after patenting and maybe some organic growth uh, to make the company itself as a whole uh, very creative and innovative. Okay, that's wonderful. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, the uh, sort of one obvious question is, uh, you're an innovator, and I know we have innovators in the audience uh, at a range of stages, starting from you know the ideation stage all the way to founders with companies that have gotten funding and are ready to uh, soar. Um, maybe we could you know. So one question that's important to ask is, 
if you have an idea at whatever stage you're in and the uh, IP is uh, the key part of your company, uh, what strategies should you keep in mind at a practical level, uh, starting from the ideation stage and at each step along the way? Um, you know, perhaps we could start with uh, Taslim since he has seen many companies at the you know, very beginning itself and, uh, you know, what are your, your views, Taslim, on, you know, the advice you would have for entrepreneurs to keep in mind as they start building their companies around an IP? So I think uh, I can share my thoughts, you know, and, and I think hopefully the entrepreneurs can take that, those thoughts when they take their, build their decisions. But I think uh, it is very important to have a clear path and uh, how they are seeing themselves growing the enterprise. Uh, one of the very good thing about entrepreneurs and science-based entrepreneurs is this enthusiasm, which is absolutely you know infectious and something that one would like to work with. And and to make those uh, that enthusiasm work, you will have to build a strategy. So it's a productive way of going forward. And that strategy building is an important part of the larger, it's a larger piece of the puzzle that is very, very important. Uh, how do you, the, one should be very clear in terms of how are you looking when you're building enterprise, are you looking as a technology building uh, enterprise or a product building exercise or a service building exercise uh, enterprise. And I think a lot of people get possibly a bit lost in this three parts. There's a service, you can do the same with the service, you can do the same with the product and you can actually do the technology licensing as well. Now, but why do you have to always, you know, flip flop between the two rather than we have a clear path and you have your thought process? And that is not clear for many people. Many times, uh, many people, uh, while they are phenomenal developers of the technology, uh, they end up uh, thinking of taking the technology all the way that is the product stage. And that is something that as an IP version, they have to understand whether productization is crucial for them rather or a better strategy is to actually take the tech technology, take the IP and then work with somebody who's better in the productization. So that's, that's a very important aspects in terms of strategy. And the case by case, it would differ. There is no rule, single rule applies to all. So they would have to understand which field they are in and then apply to that and then build on it. So that is my thought because without this strategy, what happens is that you are, you know, it's like you are building a, a, a kind of, uh, you're applying the field, not knowing exactly what you want to do. The idea is that right now you're applying and then you will decide whether you will put this seed or that seed, then you will decide this will, this will, I will take to product. And that is a very ad hoc way of building it. You should have a clear understanding of this is where I'm going. This is what it is. Of course, if there is a need for a pivot, you should pivot, but I think you should have your plan very clear. So I think that strategy that is inbuilt IP strategy. IP strategy is where are you going to be the final producer? Are you go so because that will decide everything in terms of how you want to protect it, right? How do you want to protect your IP? So I think that strategy would be very, very useful. And I'm sure many people are doing it. And I think it should be done more across. Thank you. Um, Ravi, you, uh, how would you take up from what Taslim has just said? So, you know, what are the uh, patent and non-patent legal strategies that uh, entrepreneurs should keep in mind when they're at the ideation stage? 
Right. So, I mean, I, I fully echo the sentiments of uh, Tasleem that uh, that kind of clarity of thoughts is so very important at the early stages uh, of a startup. You know, having said that, also we know that often the direction in which startups start their 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 journey, uh, it goes through you know a roller coaster ride in terms of you know as you as you talk to more people around, your idea gets pivoted to some extent as as Tasleem talked about. Now, you know, our uh, our observation has been that the companies that have at the early stage of the ideation have uh, looked at IP and have made an attempt to build some, not only on the strategy side as a long-term strategy, but also tactical moves that they need to make at the early stages are so very critical. Uh, so for example, um, I may have a great idea, but, but uh, you know, is there anyone already who has already worked on that idea somewhere in some other part of the world? Um, uh, and if yes, uh, to what extent they have been successful? Uh, what challenges they faced? Can I offer a better solution? So like differentiation element that uh, you know Gita also briefly touched upon is so very critical. So therefore, I think understanding the entire landscape of the kind of IP that exists in, uh, in the area of interest that the startup may have, uh, differentiating whether you know my ideas are patentable or not if there are borderline cases can we add more value to make them stronger patents um, often we see situations you know for example the law of the land and that's pretty much the law across the world now is the is the filing of the patent application is so very critical the one who files the patent application first gets everything the guy who files the patent application second for the same invention gets nothing which means rushing to the patent office and filing the application quickly, the moment you have a good idea is so very critical. Now, fortunately, patent law provides for options like a provisional patent application to simply flag the idea, and then you can build up on that idea further by way of more experimentation. So some of those options are available under the law to help entrepreneurs at least uh, you know, block the date to be the first uh, filer or first creator of an idea. Other challenge, so, so therefore early stage engagement is so very critical. Another element where we believe uh, young companies can, can, can do better is that you know the concept around freedom to operate. So even if you get a patent granted, but if one of the components of your patent or solution is somebody else's proprietary item or somebody else's IP, then you may still need to get into a license deal with uh, the party who is owner of that component in your finished solution so that you can monetize your IP or commercialize your product. So that kind of awareness is so very critical at the early stages for the young company so that they can invest their time, resources and energy judiciously. Yeah. Thank you. And Gita, as someone who is, uh, you know, uh, walked on this journey yourself, uh, can you tell us uh, how you took your decisions and give us examples of what has worked for you successfully at the time of uh, going from ideation to setting up the company and strategies? Sure. Uh, so one drastic change I found, right, uh, from a corporate world and how we create IP in the corporate world versus startup is that like, for example, when I, we were at Hewlett Packard and Xerox, obviously we had goals also as, uh, you know, patent uh, mentioned disclosure filing. And, um, it, uh, you know, um, as a manager, for example, you know, 
we used to organize workshops to say, okay, why don't you write out, write down all the ideas that you have top of your mind, and then let's go back and then check whether there's anything like that. Before. Some of them, you know, you can just when you make them talk about the idea, you can figure out that it doesn't work, and you know, you know, things exist, and it's not going to be worth. Uh, uh, going through all this even the disclosure review as well right but some of them may require refinements or more brainstorming so we used to do a very systematic way of getting to it uh, in a startup uh, i guess in the early stage like uh, uh Slim mentioned as well uh, we have to decide before right whether you want to be a deep tech startup uh, technology oriented startup then we better have a plan for uh, covering or, or figuring out what is going to be that dif idea differentiation. And when there is an idea level differentiation, it better be covered and put in the name of the startup. So it also obviously, uh, I guess, benefits in the valuation and so on and so forth, if not anything else, right? Um, now, in the startup world, uh, initially, you will have to sort of get onto the board and then say, what are the areas where we have new ideas? And I think uh, Mr. Ravi also referred to it as to is there a like freedom of operation basically you look at what uh, what's the fencing like in what's the broad area or or the segment let's say if you say thermal imaging based breast cancer screening or cancer screening are we going to say like for for whole of cancer screening for whole of uh, different type of health abnormalities also do you want to catch or only you know keep it to breast cancer screening that is also a decision once you decide what is the scope in which you want to operate then figure out uh, sort of where are your ideas and can somebody else sort of come up with an alternate methodology, not use your algorithm, but they sort of do that and then can they build another product? So this kind of sort of uh, uh, strategizing the areas where that require patenting, that, that is one exercise you'll do. Later, what I have seen and how we have started functioning in the last uh, year or two, basically two years, is that, uh, you know, honestly, patenting or mining for patents has become a part of life in some sense, right? So we say, okay, so here is a, here is a problem that we are facing. I'll just give you an example. So we had, we built all this and we said, okay, we are going to make the, uh, the new breast cancer screening solution that we've built uh, usable by anybody. Like it has to be even simply skilled people, health workers in rural areas should use it. So we gave the solution to them. We were watching from the cloud whether they're doing the right thing and so on. They used to make a lot of mistakes. They used to call a, a left 45 as a, you know right and you know all kinds of uh, you know uh, confusion. Take the images far away rather than close and all. So we just sort of decided we decided we have to fix it. So as an engineering solution, right, or just to fix the product uh, gap, if you will, uh, we said okay, let's come up with ways of figuring out whether the person is far near. What is the angle at which the person is sitting? This is very obvious, right? So you better fix it. But then when we when we developed it, it came out, it was not straightforward. I mean, we had to use a lot of machine learning in a different, different way uh, to do this. And once we did this, we said, okay, this nobody ever has been doing it. It's like um, checking the protocol conformance. Then, so what, so what we did was before the release, we actually uh, now started uh, uh, putting a face where we say, is it, you know, is it worth patenting? Like a feature that you're releasing, is it worth patenting? If so, quickly, do an invention disclosure, uh, go for patent application, only then do a release, right? Otherwise you do an internal release and all. So we make this very consciously. I've had cases where people had already put it in the release cycle. I said, put a flag, disable that option for all of the external customers, you know, because once you leave it, you, you cannot. So it's become almost like a way of life now. And uh, it feels good because you're not doing it for the sake of patenting, but you're actually inventing because you want the solution real, right? And just in this pre-processing, we have like five different applications, right? So th this this is uh, this is how we function. Yeah. Thank you.
Um, you know, what about uh, jurisdiction? You, you know, there are many different places where you can, you mentioned freedom to operate, Ravi, uh, in different geographies. Um, and you mentioned also the geographies that you, so uh, do you uh, have comments on how to choose which two jurisdictions to file in? It can become expensive to, uh, you know, file in various jurisdictions. And uh, Geeta, as you have, uh, I guess, as of today, 15 plus patents uh, at Nirama. Can you comment a bit about how you chose, uh, how you chose uh, that trade-off? Yeah, sure. So basically, uh, sorry, well, Ravi, one, okay, fine. Um, anyone, I, I, anyone can bet. Yeah. Okay. Since so we initially filed in the US and uh, we got a you know, foreign filing clearance to do that. Uh, but now, of course, we start with India because obviously we have an um, economic advantage of doing first in India. And uh, Mr. Ravi can correct me, uh, we have about a year to actually do a PCT application. And so you can actually decide uh, where else do you want to file uh, within the next year. And once you do the PCT, you have almost like 30 months uh, to actually decide where else you want to, which other countries you want to cover. So we've gone through this cycle. Um, and uh, so, so what we did was, uh, it's like the patent covers uh, the place where you want to manufacture and where you want to use, right? Two places. So you want to identify which are the prominent places where uh, you would like to sort of um, you know, cover or, or you expect your solution to be used. So we said, yeah, sure, we were to cover some Asian markets. So Japan, Singapore um, is, is two things we, we covered in Asian region, of course, India. Uh, and China also, uh, and then US um, for sure. Every patent finally goes to US within within a year, right? And then um, and and then the Europe as well, right? Uh, so these are the areas we have covered. We looked at other uh, you know African area and all those, but um, some of the there are multiple reasons why you can't do it in every country. One is that it's a cost of patenting itself is an issue, and also what we have taken the decision, and I hope it's the right thing. Uh, is because you always have to sort of uh, compromise and sort of you know look at different uh, aspects and balance out uh, like the cost versus doing the action. Uh, so what we did was instead of all the ten patents being filed again in different different countries, we chose two or three of the core ones, which if infringed, uh, you know, without infringing, people cannot build our solution. So we got these. We don't have to cover all of it everywhere. So we actually sort of made uh, uh, two or three of these uh, only filed in different different countries so we've taken a combination of these approaches uh, in some cases uh, when you start hearing office actions you start hearing uh, you know um, uh, repetals essentially you get reviews saying okay there are some other one like this you know you have to modify sometimes they say you cannot do diagnostic software as a pattern so it has to be only a method instead of a method it has to be a system and all of those things when we're getting these kinds of uh, office actions one after the other you decide you know how far are you going to you know, fight and for what, right? You could also abandon in between. Also, it, purely from my economic, because every office action also costs uh, quite a few lakhs of rupees to fight this, right? And so we've taken, especially COVID time, we sort of abandoned a few uh, patterns also, because, you know, if it's not worth fighting, we don't need to fight. Yeah. Uh, so, so just, yeah, just to supplement, you know, what uh, uh, Geeta, uh, Geeta mentioned, um, so, so clearly, uh, observation we had uh, from startup community, particular cut across uh, technical domains. Um, they tend to start with India if they are based out of India, considering you know the R and D is happening in India. Their team is based out of India, 
and generally as as geeta also mentioned then uh, you know us uh, of course uh, is an important jurisdiction uh, either because it's a big market or or also because your investors uh, are based out of us or they want to see a scrutiny of your patent application uh, at a higher level of scrutiny and us uh, tends to have a that way slightly more rigorous scrutiny of the patent application before it matures into a patent uh so in that context the validation of uh, the science and the and the and the and the language and the claims and everything so that way uh, we've seen uh, startups going for india and us and as uh, geeta rightly mentioned uh, pct is again a very common trend we see uh, because um, that gives you an option to add more countries uh, in due course of time and for startups uh, who could always be short of resources want to manage their resources judiciously it does help to you know stagger your expenses and and wait for how the product is shaping up or technology is shaping up before you commit yourselves to multiple countries uh, across the world and also we have seen uh, you know as startups evolve their ideas and solutions with time and pivot wherever required uh, it's not a bad idea every once or you know twice uh, or once in two years you review your portfolio prune your portfolio if required to make it more relevant to what you are doing in today's context because if you have a very large size ip portfolio and and a lot of that is not something that going to use uh, any time in future then you know often some of these ip portfolios can become like a white elephant uh, so you need to strike that nice balance to have a portfolio which is really uh, qualitatively based and not purely quantitatively based yeah Tasleem, would you have anything to add on how you advise the companies uh, th that you mentor and uh, that are in C camp on patent strategies, legal protections for IP, jurisdiction, and so forth? So I think uh, you know, luckily we have experts like Ravi who who has been one of a very good uh, supporter of uh, C camp innovations and uh, startups. Who comes in as a mentor, and of course, KNS has been working with CCAM for last ten years, uh, very closely. So that that allows us to utilize the real experts who actually see the nuances of that and mentor them when the startups want to engage. So Ravi, whenever his time allows, he sits on our mentor panels, and and then and engages with startups, and not only indicates specific things but give a broad outline of that. other than that of course we continue to have a dialogue in terms of very importantly uh, that uh, if someone is building a, a product uh, how do you where are you looking at because with time every patent becomes very expensive and this is a, this is a huge huge cost for anyone to maintain um and it's more so in early stage startups where if you are maintaining one startup and if you pick five geographies it more or less becomes your 50 20 lakh uh you know cost you are coming trying to maintain that and that's very difficult if that's uh, unfortunately if, uh, if that patent is not actually being utilized it becomes a very difficult affair for somebody to build it so those aspects in terms of assessing early you know letting the patent which is being filed but not possibly making sense to suggest that let's have a a follow on or a, a parallel ip strategy to actually build on something like that so that you are not stuck to one ip that you file and you thought you were very passionate about but it may not give you the you know outcomes that you actually thought so that uh, a kind of a peer level uh, dialogue when you can sit down and discuss is very important because 
those dialogues do not happen in uh, textbooks or in uh, or in any other way it it has to happen largely in in person where you can sit down and discuss with them so that's that's where we come in to you know engage those and suggest a few other things thank you um you know we've touched upon the idea you know the reality many times that uh, resources are a constraint and uh when you uh, advise companies uh, Taslim on uh, needing to become sound investable structures that would attract investment. Uh, what is it that you think are the most important aspects to ensure that a company has uh, so that it can be an attractive, uh, you know, the IP is structured in such a way and the company is uh, working in such a way that investors find it attractive? Right. So I think A, that the IP is more or less uh, a kind of a protection, right, for a company to ensure that uh, their future uh, possibilities are not completely ruined or taken away uh, if there is a gap in the strategy, which is a very important thing. So a very solid, fenced IP protection is crucial in that. That is one. The second, of course, is that how you build a business model on that IP. That is very important because there's one is that to build your, uh, you know, asset, but then you have to, you know, capture the value of the asset as well. And that is a very important aspect. So how do you capture the value of the asset is a crucial, as crucial as building an asset. So I think uh, those are the discussions which are very important for them, because I think uh, if you make a mistake in uh, properly articulating and capturing the asset, your value creation will be also difficult. You can do it. You may be able to do it by some means, but it will not be as good as, as you would have otherwise been. So I think that uh, engagement early and a clarity in terms of how you want to protect it. So let's say I'll give an example very, very quickly though. Uh, if you are looking at a particular pharmaceutical aspect of it, and then uh, it is very important to understand that while there are several small molecules, or even if you want to talk about biologics, what are the aspects of the small molecules or biologics are actually patentable what is the way to write those patterns or claims rather what what are the ways that you actually can ensure that it doesn't become obvious later on as as you two years down the line when you file the patent and you realize that oh in parallel somebody has done exactly the same thing and so on so you have to be very clear in terms of what you want to do because if you become very very broad it become it may become obvious if you become very specific you are not covering much so it's a fine balance between the two in that you have to do and it, every field has those nuances in terms of articulating those claims where experts like Ravi and his colleagues are uh, absolutely champions. So I think those engagements are very important right early on because once you have filed a provisional and then you say that now you make a better claim out of it, it gets difficult post that. So you have to claim it very early on. Ravi, what, what would you say in terms of, um, you know, how to uh, set everything up ideally in order to make the company attractive to investors? Right. So there are a few things that uh, Kamakshi, you know, a young company can look at. Uh, things like, um, you know, uh, timely filing the applications, making sure that the ownership of IP is uh, clearly defined who is the owner of the patents, for example. And generally it's the employer or the company uh, which has uh, triggered this whole innovation is the owner. 
it's important to clearly articulate who the inventors are uh, who are the people who have contributed to the idea and here you know important uh, criteria could be that while you may have a large size team that may have worked on a project but the people who have really contributed to the idea are the inventors uh, others who may have really just merely executed that idea may not qualify as inventors so that kind of segregation and clarity is so very important also often we see uh, kamakshi that you know in young companies when you have uh, interns or students who come in for a short duration uh, you have to see to it that uh, you know whether they have already some obligations with their other academic institution or with another company where they might be working and have come to you for a short internship you know because they could be conflicting ip ownership issues uh, between the institute and your startup so that kind of a conflicting situation needs to be uh, avoided and or addressed um, you know it's always good for a young company to uh, to of course you know in terms of ip not limited to only patents uh, uh, while we focused only on patents but there are other forms of ip also which are so very critical so for example for a medical device company it's not only patents this is for the technology but there could be a lot of uh, you know design element around the article or the device per se so there could be design registration around it there could be branding things around it so one has to look at as a young company cover the all aspects of ip that they that might sit around that that product or technology in question um uh, so these are some of the things you have to uh, see to it that you are able to to do well uh, also you know uh, as you might uh, you know uh, know that uh, a lot of countries provide for fast track grant of patents Uh, so today as we speak in india uh, under the startup scheme uh, a young company can get a patent granted in under one year in india uh, consistently uh, and that's been the position since the time we had this new rules patent rules in 2016 and we have seen young companies being able to get patent granted in india in like 8 months 7 months time so leverage some of these uh, opportunities uh, there are a lot of uh, you know uh, reimbursement uh you know programs which are available at the state government and the central government level uh leverage those to make so you you have the resources to build a strong uh, portfolio uh as i said earlier uh, uh and i think geeta also touched upon it is that just see to it that your claims in the patents are strong um because you know uh, as i said earlier you can you can build a large size portfolio for patents but uh, what is important is to see how much of it is really Uh, a significant value add how much of it you can leverage monetize or build a technology on so these are some of the things that you may want to consider uh, as a young company yeah thank you and geeta at a practical level you have actually raised uh, successfully raised funds from investors and are continuing to do uh, either do so in the future um what observations would you have on the practical aspects to keep in mind to attract investment yeah you know definitely i think uh, when we are explaining uh, or giving a pitch to the investors you know putting a line about how many patents uh, filed granted uh, you know definitely attracts and keeps the discussion going uh, with the investors uh, you know uh, typically it does end up with a second meeting if not more um and uh, And, and and in the pitch deck we always have one slide reserved for the list of patents with numbers you know to make it more authentic as well and uh, even in the due diligence right uh, we have had uh, our investors uh, uh, 
both at the seed round and the series A round, right? Uh, go into our, you know, we used to have at least uh, two, three, four hours of uh, due diligence just on the patents, right? And, uh, you know, we used to give the numbers, uh, they used to put IP legal team around these numbers. They used to do the homework and come back and say, okay, here, we found it even externally, right? That there is a validation that what you've said. And then a few discussions about, uh, you know, exactly what does it cover? What aspects uh, does it cover? Where is the, you know, the freedom to operate aspect of it that Ravi brought in, right? All of that, we've had several discussions just on the IP. So that clearly shows that IP did form a, a one of the primary parts of uh, why we got such marquee investors, including Ankur Capital here. Uh, so just to sort of add to some of the uh, things that we take care of beyond just sort of piling and so on, right? Uh, as, as, as an early stage company. Uh, and, and one of uh, the advisors uh, told this to us initially, um, where they said, okay, whichever discussion you're going in, go with an NDA. Even if you think you're not going to discuss your ideas, go with an NDA. You don't know what question, because as uh, Taslim also mentioned, right? You know, there's a lot of energy and enthusiasm in the, uh, in, in the startup entrepreneur, essentially, and the team and so on. So when you get into a room, you don't know where to, like, you know, you don't know where you will go and sort of, you know, blurt out something because you want to impress the, could be the investor or any investor. Usually we have a free conversation, uh, but in general, it's the potential partner and all that. So. Uh, even, for example, we are sharing only a published paper, which is not easily accessible. It is uh, um, available and, uh, you know, for a fee or something. We will always ask for an NDA, right? Um, so first, like, simple brochures, fine. Anything they say, will give us this publication, that publication. We just say, can you please sign this one-page NDA, right? Saying that you will actually sort of whatever we have said is kept in conference and it's going to be the information is used only for such and such a purpose. Like, let's say exploring collaborative opportunities, that's it. And then duration of which this. So that is a mandatory thing that we do. We have lots and lots of NDAs. I don't know what we're gonna do with it, but it's there, right? So that, you know, at uh, required time it comes up. Second thing we've done is uh, actually when you partner with big corporates uh, and there is sort of initial, we sign NDA um, definitely. And maybe you go to an MBO, MOU state, you usually end up signing their NDA. So one thing you have to make sure, and because we have the legal team uh, here, is to make sure that all the clauses are mutually applicable. So this is something we have initially, we were like uh, taken for granted, I would say, the first draft that comes in and say, Niramai will maintain whatever information you get from the corporate confidentiality. So like, why not the other way around, right? Even the corporate has to, be, however big, I will not name the uh, corporates, very, very big corporates, they will have terms like this. Then is it please, can you go back and get us a mutually uh, sort of, you know, equivocal kind of a confidentiality. So this kind of pushing back is fine. They're not going to think that if you say, you're not going to sign your agreement, the agreement is not going to drop off. So these things I think we should be stern about and not compromise at all. Right, however small the idea is. I think this is, uh, in fact, I mentioned one of the uh, best, uh, uh, very, very well-known uh, organization which provides grants, right? We have pushed back and uh, got their um, typical grant document changed. You know, we have to be stern and then change it, right? And of course we have a legal team, uh, almost like a retainer. Any agreement I sign will go through them only after she says yes is what I'll sign. So I think after some time, you know, we have to be very careful. You don't want to sort of just leak away for the want of some small documents, small, some information or some name dropping. 
in your slides, you don't want to sort of lose out this. I think that is something that I really, uh, you know, earnestly request all starters be very, very proactive and all that. But when you're partnering, make sure what you're signing. I think that's very important. Thank you. Thank you. You know, at the policy level, uh, you know, maybe uh, we could uh, start with what are some of the, Ravi mentioned some of those, you know, the reimbursement, the fast tracking, uh, but what have uh, all of you seen in terms of policy initiatives that you would highlight as being particularly successful? And uh, if it was up to you, what are the three top changes that you would suggest or three top new initiatives that you would suggest to the government to make the policy towards IP-centered entrepreneurship even more, uh, even more conducive? Um, so maybe I can go first, uh, Kamakshi. Um, so the two, three things that I can think of are, you know, one is, um, uh, you know, at the, you know, uh, you know, there's a legislation in US uh, that some of you probably already know of. It's called the Beidol Act. Um, this is one very significant law we had in US uh, enacted a good 30 years uh, back. Uh, which encouraged and helped build an ecosystem where academia and uh, corporate world uh, was encouraged to work more closely. So there were provisions like, you know, if a research institution which is federally funded develops a piece of uh, invention, uh, the researcher and academia is encouraged to, to see how it can be productized, how it can uh, reach the society at large, how it can benefit the society. So, on, so academia was encouraged to collaborate with the uh, industry and, and develop solutions which are uh, needed by the society or needed by the corporate world. So that I think really helped uh, avoid situations like reinventing the wheel, which is something that we talk about, you know, sometimes in academia, can we be a little more solution oriented, so to say. So that's one area where I think some feeble attempt was made in the country good 10, 12 years ago but it didn't really go much forward. So I think that's one element where I believe if we can make some progress as a country, I think it will really help uh, quite a bit. Uh, other piece is I think in terms of generally the awareness around. So while you know, I've been around in the profession for a good 20 years and you know, we've been part of various initiatives to bring about more awareness on IP in the country. But India is such a large country you know, and, and you know, with a lot of complexities around it and diversity. Uh, it's it's still very difficult to reach masses and you know bring about more awareness. So this is something which we have to do and continue to do for a long, long time, just to make sure that as a society we are more aware of IEP and and what value it brings to the table. So so I know several institutions like you know CSIR, TIFAC, NRDC, a lot of organizations are taking various initiatives to bring about more awareness in the society, but but a lot more needs to be done. Also, I think one on the operational side I see is that both at the patent offices and also in the court system, um, and courts have tried to make some progress uh, to be more digital during this COVID times, but as a country, we still have a long way to go. Look, a lot of appreciation of IP will come in when IP owners will realize that tomorrow, if there's an infringement, then the court will timely give me the desired relief. Now, while India has improved significantly, especially in the last four or five years with the Commercial Courts Act, but I think in terms of 
practicalities around having more judges, having more courts, more digitalization, clearing of the backlog in the courts. That's one big area where I think as a country, we still have to make a whole lot of investment. Uh, patent office has made significant progress. Similar level of progress, I think we need to make in a judicial system. And then once we are able to accomplish it, I think people will really uh, you know, reach out and seek more IP, create more IP, and will help the economy and the ecosystem. Yeah. Thank you. Taslim, would, would you, uh, you know, would you like to go next on that question? So I think uh, uh, Ravi has fairly covered many important aspects and he also indicated some of the very good initiatives that we have seen in recent years, which clearly uh, supports the uh, efforts by startups on IP front, including, you know, examination aspects and and the uh, reimbursements for IP, which is already there. There are several models of reimbursement of IP and so on. So that clearly suggests that there has been a thought process in uh, promoting IP-driven uh, enterprises and, and ensuring that the possibly A, they get the IP uh, you know, filing and examination done sooner. They can definitely support at the India level they can reimburse so the maintenance of IP filing and maintenance IP is kind of taken care of. And then there have been several aspects in terms of how uh, few efforts have been, been able to do is to ensure that uh, those startups, entrepreneurs learn how to leverage the IP further, which is also an important aspect. Uh, one thing that possibly would add, and I think uh, Ravi did mention Baidol Act, I, uh, going forward, I think we need to understand that while we are talking about entrepreneurship, if you're talking about real science based in a broader sense, a lot of the IP has to come from academia. It's, uh, it's not just because that's where the knowledge uh, creation happens, that's where the largest investment of knowledge generation is there. We cannot deny that. There is a huge investment on clear, with clear emphasis on knowledge generation. Hence the understanding and earlier IP would actually be, a lot of it should be and could be created from there. Once it is created, we have to leverage that and go forward. So the connect between the entrepreneurs who not only are developers, but also leveragers and utilizers of the IP, that the connect has to be much more strongly done, which actually Bedol hack has been very well done because of the, you know, giving the uh, incentives to the inventors and giving the incentives to the institutes, which was a main constituent of the Bedol Act, was a very clear, and second and very important thing, one is a constitution or a policy. Second is a such sane spirit, you should be able to implement that. Many times we see in India that policies are there, but the spirit of implementation is a challenge. And that actually depends on the culture of the place. So I think we have to ensure that wherever there is a compromise on the uh, implementation of such forward looking policies, I think it has to be, you know, you know, as you can say that, you know, stop at the right beginning, you know, nipped in the bud itself. So actually, so that it doesn't, the, because once the culture, the spirit is not there, you cannot undo it. We have seen it many places, it's very difficult to undo once the forward looking approach in terms of IP commercialization is not there. So I think that culture for implementation of good policy is also a very crucial aspect of it, rather very mostly important aspect of it. That should be looked into, I would say as well. Geeta, do you have any thoughts on uh, policies that uh, would have particularly helped you or will do so? 
Yeah, some practical tips. I'll keep it very short. I think uh, I agree with many of the points that Ravi and Asmini mentioned. On a practical front, right, uh, we are using, for example, Startup Karnataka patent reimbursement uh, you know, facility. We have used it for almost three patents now, which is nice. You know, um, they have separate one for India reimbursement. Indian uh, patent filing is actually sort of pretty reasonable, you know, 25,000 can do it. Uh, whereas this other one um, for other countries. So there I do have uh, a request. See what uh, Karnataka Startup, for example, allows, or it's the same for Startup India, I believe, is that they allow us to claim up to, I guess, like five lakhs or something. Uh, you can choose one country and you can you just stick to that one country, only one country, right? So, some, uh, so, so you basically end up choosing the costliest country and cover it. But it doesn't mean that, you know, you're not spending for the other countries. And it's not just for filing, like, you know, there's these multiple office actions as I briefly mentioned, till you actually get to the grant. There's a whole lot of cycle and you kind of keep on burning. Some of these countries like Germany, you have to anyway pay like patent maintenance fee or something like that. Even though, you know, there's no examination happening and so on and so forth. Once you, you know, so these things happen. So if they can actually allow us to, um, you know, cover more than one country within the same budget or at least, uh, you know, have parallel, you know, not, not restrict us to file only in one. It will enable one idea to sort of go to multiple places, right? And actually do the coverage internationally. I think that uh, that that help will be very, very uh, useful. And uh, another small, um, you know, again, practical thing is that, you know, we have several organizations like BIRAC, I guess CCAM, all of them, um, you know, providing grant for research. Uh, I don't know about CCAM, but basically I see that one of them is already saying, okay, if you're taking this grant, you know, some uh, some equity, some, some IP licensing, uh, there is a rider attached to it. I think if an organization is sort of supporting uh, research, they have to support research just for that sake. If once you start putting riders, it's not going to be usable. I'm not going to sign up because I don't know what my investors are going to say, right? So, so that's the sort of other part. So I've stopped applying to some of these uh, grants because there's this rider coming in. I think both of these, uh, you know, I wish, uh, you know, we can change. Okay. So, uh, you know, we've uh, taken the bulk of the hour, but we have many audience questions that have come in. So uh, perhaps if we could just go over by five or 10 minutes to uh, turn to audience questions and uh, I would be grateful. So the first question that we have is, um, how are Indian startups gearing up towards commercial aspects of IP, like monetization, licensing, IP valuation, securitization, tax credits, and IP enforcement. Any success stories which the eminent panelists can share? I'm just reading verbatim from the from the question. So, any success stories? Uh, you know, possibly we cannot cover all of these aspects, but uh, maybe one or two. Uh, so, so two elements here. You know, one of course, you know, some of the aspects, right? For example, uh, patent valuation or IP valuation, which is like a stepping stone towards licensing, licensing in, licensing out, and commercialization. So, we've seen a whole lot of interest in last two, three years around inquiries we receive around patent valuation. So, that's one kind of an indicator that the people are looking at, you know, leveraging this IP in different uh, forms or shapes. You know, some of the companies we, we, you know, we've been working very closely with startup ecosystem for many years now. And some of the companies like uh, Sick Tuple, uh, Eaton Porous, a uh, whole lot of companies actually at C-Camp, you know, uh, the scheme has built this fantastic institution which has been able to, you know, act as a bridge between academia and industry in that sense. If you see, 
uh, there are lots and lots of success stories uh, at sea camp so i think tasneem might be you know very well placed to identify some more examples here yeah tasneem any any thoughts yeah so i think i better come in uh, thanks for that segue to ravi uh, and kind words i would say there have been many so i'll give you a very quick examples and try to be uh, quick as well uh, uh, ravi mentioned atin porus which is a phenomenal example in terms of small molecule based work for uh, for nimenpick disease which is actually a rare disease and company knew exactly that they want to build something for that disease which happens to a very very few people but it's a rare disease the idea the strategy one should look at very quickly it was a new molecule but for an orphan drug or a rare disease you have actually a short regulatory and early approvals so they build that molecule from so this was supported by ccam uh, from the uh, early idea stage and they license it for a total licensing deal uh, completely for 125 million and this was done in couple of years more or less uh, as you can see and this is completely new young entrepreneurs who looked at it and we are talking about a molecule small molecule for a rare disease this is a very good story in terms of ip if i take a device very very quickly again uh, uh, you know there are there are people who have actually now devices which are usfd approved uh, for supporting one of the most fatal condition in icu setting called a ventilator associated pneumonia which is actually we are seeing today as well in covid times when a patient is on ventilator they actually get into pneumonia because of the secretions of the saliva that happens which actually rather than going to your gut it goes to your lungs causing pneumonia which actually becomes very very fatal and old age it is absolutely you know those numbers are really uh, very very scary to see they have built this new device which prevents this pneumonia and saves lives this is now a us fda approved device right now being used by many states in the in india for covid uh, situation as a ventilator associated to prevent that has been really a phenomenal journey completely based on a design engineering uh, based intervention in a healthcare device or medical device there are many more examples i will not go into it but these are the strength for all of them have been their ability to pick a clear technology space build an ip and commercialize that thank you um you know we uh i think we're at the one hour mark and we have quite a few more questions but uh we may not have time to address all of them um maybe i'll just take one or two more um you know the, the one is which is a fairly uh, simple question but i think a difficult one to answer how do you assess the strength of a patent and maybe that uh, we should ask ravi first uh but the others may also have points of view on that uh so see the heart of a patent is the patent claims uh so if i have to look at the quality of the patent i look at uh, the claims uh and of course you know if it's a granted patent or a pending application uh, has a bearing um and then i look at uh, the freedom to operate uh, whether that exists or not uh, how crowded that uh, tech space is Uh, so these are some of the early indicators uh, to figure out how good or bad uh, the patent is uh, you know there is a there is a there is assessment that uh, you know vast chunk of granted patents are not really valuable uh, uh, either because the claims are not really meaningful 
or technologies have become redundant or things like that. So I think it's very difficult to identify good, solid, valuable patterns. Uh, but these are some of the criteria that I look at when I look at a patent, yeah. Thank you. So, you know, we have many more questions, but I think we've actually covered uh, most of them in the course of the uh, moderated discussion itself. Uh, so a thank you to those in the audience for asking um, all of these questions. We have received 14 questions in all, but scrolling through them, I think many were covered uh, almost entirely head on or most of the question was answered in the course of the uh, conversation we've had so far. Um, you know, this has been a, a fascinating hour for me and I hope for everyone else uh, in the audience and for the panelists as well. Um, you know, we've learned that creativity and innovation is key now. It's, uh, you know, the, the, the wellspring of activity is uh, actually creativity and innovation and discovery. Uh, and that is a very heartening sign for the continuing um, trend towards IP-centered entrepreneurship. Um, you know, Tasli mentioned that, Geeta pointed out that patenting has become a way of life. And throughout the conversation, we learned about all of the different, um, you know, antenna that you need to keep up to make sure that you get the right kinds of patents in at the right points, uh, make sure that you have NDAs, uh, make sure that you have a clear, uh, clear path. Uh, as Tasli mentioned, mentioned uh, you know, when you plow the field, you have to know what it is that you're planting. Uh, but of course, keeping yourself open to pivots. Um, Ravi mentioned many of the um, uh, policy uh, changes that have uh, started with the 2006 uh, patent rule, but also, uh, you know, the importance of having uh, the right culture of implementation, IP awareness, uh, and extending the scope of some of the schemes that the government has uh, has had. And lastly, I think a very important point that we touched upon was the importance of uh, academia industry collaborations. Uh, you know, the fact that basic discoveries still will come out of academia because that is, uh, you know, the natural home for them and what uh, needs to be done at a policy level and a practical level to make sure that those discoveries um, reach commercialization in an appropriate way. Um, so it's, you know, been a lot of things that we've learned from uh, people, who, you know, we couldn't have come up with uh, better people to address these questions uh, than uh, Ravi, who knows so much about um, the, uh, you know, the rules, the policies, and also the practicalities of uh, setting up these protections uh, from Taslim, who has a bird's eye view on how entrepreneurs work uh, across a range of styles and uh, what are the trends that are uh, the most important for them to keep in mind. And from Geeta, who has actually walked this path uh, for her own company successfully over the past few years. So thank you very much to um, Ravi Bola of KNS Partners, Taslim Arif Saeed of Seacamp, and Geeta Manjanath of um, uh, Niramai. It's our pleasure, Tankur, to have welcomed you to this panel. And uh, we look forward to um, many more adventures together. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy the panel. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye. Thanks. Bye.